Hey, Jen. Hey, Tina. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. You're listening to Speaking of Racism. Jermaine Fowler is a public educator, historical storyteller, writer, and founder of the Humanity Archive, a media company committed to telling the stories of history in the most compelling way possible. Much of his work deals with unsettling history and the current reality of today's world, post-industrial cities stricken by poverty, racism, inadequate health care, and educational inequality. In spite of this, he offers an underlying hope by studying those traditions of excellence which have served to connect us and push for a better world. By featuring voices and perspectives traditionally erased from the past, Jermaine not only captures our historical blind spots, he teaches us how history is a powerful tool for transformational change. Welcome to the show, Jermaine. Thank you, Jen. I really appreciate that introduction. And I appreciate you having me on the show. Um, I've kind of admired you and Tina's work from afar as far as you guys speaking to and having a platform for uh, the discussion of the the social ills and injustices in the world. And I, and I really appreciate what you all do. I appreciate that. So tell us a little bit about you and who you are. Yeah, I'm uh, someone who is engaged in historical storytelling, research, education, but I would honestly say that most of my younger life was concerned with using my education to make money. I think that I came from a generation where we were told that you can have upper mobility through education. So, you know, get a good job, uh, you know, get a house and live this kind of um, version of an American dream where you kind of move to the suburbs and do all of that. But at some point I really wasn't fulfilled with that, you know, with that version of the American dream. And I could could hear my grandmother and my grandfather kind of calling back to me. You know, they passed away and they were kind of calling back from the grave like, we didn't really raise you like this, Jermaine. We didn't raise you to only seek money and, and seek career. We we raised you in a way of what kind of person are you going to be? You know, who are you going to help? Who are you going to serve? So, you know, I've, I've always had a, a deep, deep, deep love for education for knowledge, for wisdom. And I started to kind of formulate a plan of how I can, you know, bring that to others and, uh, you know, a love of history and the humanities and bring that to bear in such a way where we can talk about it critically, have a dialogue about history. And the Humanity Archive was born out of that. You know, here I am, I've got the website up and running, just all kinds of different topics. And I think the underlying theme that I try to weave into it all is to, you know, how again, how can we reach back and bring something forward that, that can help us. You know, we don't want to forget the past. We want to look to the past and look at those examples and see how we can use them to help us today. So, you know, that's the underlying theme of the Humanity Archive is it's not just narrative. It's not just telling stories like point A, point B, point C. It's um, seeing how we can think about that critically, use those examples critically to live our lives better, maybe make it through something or see how other people use greatness to serve others. So there's definitely an underlying theme of service, you know, in it all as well. Like how can we use history to serve humanity today? I'm really tied to the tradition of like Athens and Socrates where, where one of my favorite quotes is the only thing that I know is that I know nothing. So yeah. in that, that keeps me learning, that keeps me open, that keeps my mind open to new ideas and also to challenge my own assumptions, to challenge my own beliefs. How would you describe the Humanity Archive? The Humanity Archive is telling 
the stories of history in the most compelling way possible. If I could just sum it up just right there. And then if I were to, if I were to expand on that, I would say it's, it's, it's critical history, though. It's bringing some, some thought and we're kind of tearing it open. We're not just looking at it and saying, this is what happened. We're, we're asking questions about it and saying, okay, was this right? Was this wrong? Or, you know, how do people make it through this? So there's, it's thematic a lot of times, like I weave it with themes of hope, for instance. You know, I'm working on one project right now, especially with pandemics and something that I had already started writing about, but I really wondered, like, how did people make it through like the Black Death, right? This pandemic that just like killed millions oh, yeah. upon millions of people and then people still made it through that. So there's this underlying theme of hope, you know, in that. Or if I look at the life of someone like Frederick Douglass, you know, there's that theme of of struggle, you know, for progress, for, you know, a movement in society, like to take on this big giant of racism, of oppression. So, you know, it's definitely thematic. It's not just like, okay, this person lived in 1895. He went to this school, you know, he married this person or she married this person. It's, it's, it's definitely thematic. So it's, again, it's telling these stories in, in a compelling way. Ultimately, I want to make people think and, um, you know, there was something that uh, Tupac Shakur said. He said, I want to spark the brain that will change the world. So I think that's something that always stuck out to me. Like, I, I want to be an educator in that way. Like, I want to spark that brain that's, that's going to change something, you know, by telling these stories. You have a podcast, you write, and what else do you do? I'm really everywhere that I can be. You know, I, I try not to turn down any opportunities. So, um, you know, I'm doing speaking engagements, I'm podcasting, I'm recording videos, I'm a uh, doing graphics. Like I just did a graphic on Madam CJ Walker because I watched that documentary on Netflix. And there was something where there was this feud between her and Booker T. Washington. I wanted to explore that a little bit more. And was that his historically accurate? Or was that just something that was kind of uh, fancied up for the, for the show? So I did a graphic on that where I brought some picture yeah. and some text together and, and a short video clip that I'm going to be putting out. So I dive into all different forms of media and live presentations. So I'm always exploring and seeing like what the trends are in uh in media, you know, whether it be live video or um, you know, recorded video or podcasting or writing. So, you know, I'm definitely everywhere with that. Yeah, and you also partner with artists, different yeah, performance too. artists. So, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm someone who believes in the just the raw power of art, uh, whether it be a painting on a building, you know, graffiti to, um, you know, abstract art to sculpture and how that can be used as an educational tool. Um, I just really love that idea. And I ended up connecting with the artist in Italy, in Milan, and he was doing some activism over there where he uh, had painted a prominent political figure in blackface, just kind of like as a, a kind of push against racism in Italy. And I was like, wow. So I reached out to him. And we uh, put together a project called Be the Next One, where we're trying to uplift examples of uh, prominent uh, people of African descent from all over the world, whether it be Nefertiti from Egypt or Frederick Douglass from America or Alessandro de Medici from Italy. So he's painting in them and um, I'm doing his, some poetic prose to go along with his abstract paintings to uplift these figures and try to inspire the youth. So I'm always looking for opportunities with artists as well to kind of bring writing and art together, or video and art together to tell these stories. Artists, you know, are some of the vanguards of truth, right? You know, whether it be the the, the painters or the comics or, you know, a lot, there's a lot of truth in art. So I always love to connect with that. I love that. What is your goal with the Humanity Archive? I think that goes to, uh, I guess, a three-word theme that I have for the Humanity Archive, and it's seek educate and serve. So what I mean by seek is to seek out knowledge, 
and and sometimes that can even mean seeking you know that within ourselves, but mainly history and in a hist- historical aspect to see ourselves in the stories of others and and you know find out who we are as human beings through stories of others, you know whether it be things that people live through, times that people live through. Could be, you know, something within the civil rights movement. It could be, you know, people who lived through the Great Depression. You know, uh, a story from my grandfather when he told me he used to stand in the soup lines. Like, what theme and when? What can I connect to within that? You know, struggle um, in that, and um, you know, somebody who came from that and still went to work, still built a family, still built a home. You know, through all that adversity. So maybe it could be something like that, and, and the seek aspect of it. And then I'm going to take that. And through all these different formats and media, use that to educate others, you know, and tell them about, you know, how how that can help them or, you know, how they can tie into that as well. And then use that in some form of service. You know, that serve aspect of it is always something underlying for me, like to serve humanity in some way with this knowledge, you know, not just getting knowledge for knowledge sake, but knowledge that is useful that we can can use in some format. So those things are, are kind of how I seek to use the humanity archive to better humanity, I guess I would say. Yeah. I, I know for me, I, I lived in this bubble and it wasn't until I started to learn about things historically that I started to connect like, okay, wait. And so that's where for me, when I started to learn, it's like, I just dove into history. And I felt like, you know, these blinders had been lifted for me. All of this information has been here this entire time. And I have not, or I haven't known it in this depth. Why do you think that was absent from your understanding of history as far as like from traditional school? I mean, I think that, you know, the quote unquote winner writes the history, right? And we hear this all the time. And I grew up, um, my dad mm-hmm. is indigenous. And so I grew up with this strong sense and understanding that the history that was being taught was not full and it was not true because of the whitewashing in education. In, in the humanity archive, it's not just general history, right? I really put the focus on and the highlight on and the magnifying glass on history of the oppressed, history of the marginalized, the history of the person of color, the history of the black person, the history of the Native American, the history of the woman, those people who have, in a lot of cases, in most cases, been um, excluded, right, right? Um, in the history books. And, you know, there's something that I found to be very disturbing. Um, You still have history books out there who are calling enslaved people workers, right? So there has to be some kind of pushback against that. And that's really what I want to do. It's not just just general history. There's a little bit of it. Um, and, and for me, it, it goes back to those grand figures in history, mm-hmm. right? Those people who have lifted themselves up and done something and served something greater and grander than themselves. I like to use this example. Um, when I was growing up, there was this Be Like Mike campaign, Michael yeah. Jordan. It was a commercial and he's driven a basketball and there's this music and he's, you know, like holding up kids and, you know, slam dunking. It was for Gatorade or something like that. Be Like Mike. You know, I think... A lot of times when we look at different figures, like, you know, people that we lift up as celebrity, um, there's a lot of worship, there's a lot of idolizing, there's a lot of fetishizing. And that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about like a Frederick Douglass or, or um, you know, in a, uh, you know, somebody from the past. I think ultimately we don't need any more like campaigns to be like Mike. We need a campaign that says, you know, be like Malcolm, be like Martin, be like Fanny, be like Asada, be like Huey, like lift those people yeah. up, not to 
idolize them per se, but to say like, these are some people who made fundamental and transformational changes in society. These are people who have come into our minds as examples of excellence. And, um, you know, they can be milestones to look back at and get a sense of what it's like to be dedicated to something bigger than you. So there's definitely that in my storytelling and looking back to that. And then also trying to find those stories that, you know, you might not have heard about. Like there's this Native American named Red Jacket and um, he fought for the British at first. You know, it kind of was during the time whenever America and the British were, were coming over and, and trying to split up the land and, you know, remove Native Americans. And um, he was a great negotiator, a great orator. I mean, how many people do you know that know the name Red Jacket? How do we make, you know, those Native American names, household names? You know, you know, yeah. George Washington, you know, Thomas Jefferson, you know, you know, these people. But what about those? I mean, if you ask somebody to name off five Native American figures, maybe 10 even. I mean, how many could they name? You know, Pocahontas, maybe uh, Sacagawea. I mean, but how many more? You know, they, they could probably name a few. Right. But how do we how do we make more of those people household names and hear their stories? So um, women yeah. even. I mean, and it's so crazy to think, you know, as far as women being more than half the population. But I'll tell you right now, it's like so difficult to even find like stories of prominent uh, women figures. I was looking the other day, like I wanted to write about some women philosophers. I mean, I, I got to go to like the deepest recesses of the library to even try to find like, you know, any prominent examples of, of you know, a lot of women in philosophy and, and they were there. Right. But, you know, they haven't been lifted up. They haven't been written about. They haven't been highlighted. So um, or they is, were writing under like a male pseudonym. Right. Right. right exactly. Yeah. You, you hit it. You hit it. They had to. Um, yep. Because they wouldn't be respected. They wouldn't be published. Um, you, you definitely hit something there. So there's a lot of that. That's that's what I'm deeply passionate about. And that's really the driving force behind the Humanity Archive and the stories that I, I seek to tell. So um, any project I do is is definitely has that that uh, passion behind it and that kind of uh, uh, power behind it that I try to bring to bear. I don't know how much of the podcast you've listened to, but I homeschool my kids and I have, we're going on three years now. And I decided if I have to homeschool them, I want to make sure that I'm educating them differently. And I'm also going to get an education myself. So I really sought out a very decolonized historical perspective, which was challenging, one, to find, but two, to teach, because often we teach from what we've learned. And I learned a very colonized, historical, you know, American-centric history. But I remember this moment where their book got to the Iroquois Confederacy. And I remember, like, when I received this book, they had these maps. And I was so excited to see the Iroquois Confederacy on a map. And then to sit and read, and I sat at the table and I was reading my kids this story, and I just started weeping. And they're like, Mom, um, well, this is kind of weird what's going on. I'm like, guys, you know, to grow up all of my life, identifying partly as an indigenous woman, and not to have that representation, right? And then to have that, it was this moment where I can say, I feel like humanity was restored to me on some level. That's deep. And that was yeah, such a powerful experience. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. So what, like, which historical figure has shaped and inspired you the most? I spent a lot of time researching Frederick Douglass. I know I've even mentioned his name a couple of times within this show. You know, the abolitionist uh, and the writer and the orator from the 19th century. I came across his narrative, again, the narrative in the life of Frederick Douglass, 
a couple of years ago when I was in a used bookstore, just kind of browsing. And then I picked it up and I started flipping through it. And I looked at it in a different light because, you know, when I learned about it in school, it really wasn't, we didn't dive into it in, at any depth. You know, we didn't really scratch the surface. So mm-hmm. when I started re- reading about, you know, his honesty, his integrity, his, um, you know, decency and his fight for equality and not only to liberate slaves, but, you know, when I started digging deeper, like he talked about, you know, women's rights, he talked about uh, immigration. You know, there's one quote where he said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, we should welcome our ample continent to all nations, tongues and people. And as fast as they can learn our language and complete the duties of citizenship, we should welcome them because the the widespread wings of the American eagle are broad enough to to welcome everyone. So, I mean, I'm like, wow, like that speaks so much to like today. Wow. Uh, it ties so much into today and in our fight to allow immigrants into the country. So he touched everything. He kind of, uh, this whole concept of like how these different things intersect, like before people were even using those terms, like he already understood that you can't talk about racism without talking about, you know, oppression of women. You can't talk about that without talking about economic oppression. You can't talk about that without talking about immigrants' rights. So he he brought it all in. Um, so I think to me, he was kind of like one of the founding fathers of uh, civil rights, of a fight against oppression for equality. So he's someone that I definitely look back to as like kind of like one of those grand figures that I was talking about to lift up and to look at it as an example, you know, kind of how to live my life and live a life of character, a life of, of moral integrity and uh, trying to serve people and serve something greater than myself. Yeah. And this is a good time for us to talk about your podcast, because on your podcast, you do, is it a three-part series on Frederick Douglass? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh Wanted to dive into his life in as much depth and breadth as I could. So uh, that's one of my larger projects uh, was a podcast and a ser- series of articles uh, written about him and his life. So that's one of my more recent offerings yeah. is like a really in-depth study of his life and, you know, his his teachings, I guess I would say. I've been listening to that one. A lot of the things that I'm starting to work on in the future are like kind of more project based. And one thing I'm working on. It's it's an idea that I have. It's called Project 365, and it's basically, um, you know, you have Black History Month, you have Women's History Month, and you have Native American History Month. And what Project 365 is forming to be is something where we we talk about this history and the importance of this history 365 days out of the year. So it's something that I want to do to bring together educators to uh, have either a conference here in my city. Um, starting with that, I'm kind of in talks with a history museum there. and um, But also online, like how can we develop different curriculum on the Humanity Archive uh, specifically to speak to that? You know, whether it be K through 12 mainly is probably what I would focus on with that and, and bringing black history, uh, native history and women's history to the forefront 365 days a year. So that's something that uh, I'm really passionate about and that I'm kind of starting to work on as well. Cool. That is really exciting. I think that's awesome because we talk about it. You know, we talk about how do we, you know, uh, on one hand, celebrate and give space for Black History Month, Women's History Month, Indigenous History Month, you know, and and do that. But how do we go beyond the the month and make it 365? This this past Black History Month, like I was getting a significantly more amount of like media contacting me about and I yes. went on TV to talk about some Black History Month stuff and then a lot of that did drop off after that so it kind of fades into memory you know it's like oh yeah let's get him on to talk about some Black History but you know after February it's like wow it's like wow there's a sharp decline in uh 
I guess, media interest. But I think the average person uh, still wants that, still is longing for that, you know, because I see it like on different social media. I kind of see it in, in speeches and searches and, you know, what people are looking for, but it's just not there a lot of times. Oh, yeah. Um, so again, like you said, like, how can we bring that curriculum? How can we bring that study into the everyday? And I think one interesting thing about Black History Month, it was started by Carter G. Woodson. And he didn't even want it to be a month. It actually started as a week. But his ultimate hope was like, we can dissolve this month. We want it to be included in and integrated into everyday education. Like he didn't want this to last forever. And like, here we are, like all these years later, all these decades later, still having Black History Month because it's not integrated into our educational uh, system equally. Right. So I thought that was interesting as well. So because you really dig into like deep history on these different characters, one of the questions I have is what has been one of the most surprising or interesting things that you've learned about a particular person? Like, do you have anything where you're like, oh, my gosh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm from uh, Louisville, Kentucky. That's situated on the Ohio River, you know, at the intersection between uh, Indiana and Kentucky. So on the other side of the Ohio River is uh, Indiana. and um, this is where Muhammad Ali is from, from Louisville. Mm. And I used to skip rocks off the banks of the Ohio River, um, you know, into the river. And I found out that in 1962, I think it was, that Muhammad Ali, he threw his Olympic gold medal into the Ohio River because he was so frustrated. This is when he had won the medal, you know, in the Olympics and he came wow. back, he was happy. He tried to go into a restaurant, which, you know, was segregated. Maybe he thought that, hey, you know, I'm an Olympic gold medalist. I can go in here and eat. And they kicked him out. And he was so frustrated that uh, the story goes that he threw his medal into the river. And this is out of his own mouth that he that he said he did this. So um, that was very interesting to me. Now, did he fish it out or is it just gone? It's it's gone. Wow. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that was ever recovered as far as I know. So, so one of the questions that we ask at the end of our show lately is just like, what gives you joy? What is something maybe this week or today or in your studies and research that gives you joy? I think I find joy um, just in hope and not really uh, optimism. Like you hear a lot about optimism, like, you know, be cheery, be be smiley, be optimistic, but like a, a deep hope and an underlying sense that, you know, we we can make it through struggle but there's going to be struggle, right? You can't ignore the struggle. Like you have to go through the struggle, but you know, in that, you know, in that journey, there's, there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. You have to enjoy the the different moments, you know, within the struggle, even though it's always going to be there, but you know, you can, you can find joy in the struggle. So definitely every day I try to be hopeful. I try to be thankful. I try to show gratitude. Um, even if I'm going through something. So, hmm. um, I find joy and, and just being hopeful. Yeah. So where can people find you, follow you, and how can we support your work? I'm um, everywhere. You know, I'm on uh, all social media platforms, Instagram at the Humanity Archive. I have a Facebook page, the Humanity Archive, uh, Twitter, you find me, Jermaine D. Fowler. Anywhere you listen to your podcast, you could listen to the Humanity Archive podcast from iTunes to Stitcher to uh, Radio Public to uh, CastBox to Google Podcasts. Uh, as far as support, you know, ultimately just subscribe, you know, go check out the website. Uh, I have a, a newsletter that I put out, you know, reach out um, and just just add me su support in that way. You know, uh, that that's definitely how you could support me, how you could find me and, and just engage with the content. 
Awesome. Well, it has been a pleasure having you on the show and we're excited to see what you create. Jen, thank you for having me on. And uh, again, I definitely admire what you guys are doing over there and uh, you know, look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode is not over yet, though. There are two things that happened since we recorded it. And one is Jermaine started a Patreon community for the Humanity Archive. So we just wanted to come on here and say, go check it out, support his work, become a patron. The other thing is after we learned that Jermaine was from Louisville, Kentucky, our friend Corey Leak over at Existential Podcast wanted to sit down with him and talk to him about what is going on on the ground there surrounding the Breonna Taylor case. So here we have Corey Leak from Existential Podcast. If you haven't listened, go check it out. Subscribe and listen. And he is talking to Jermaine. So from what I understand, you're in you're in Louisville, right? I am born and raised here. So you also have your your work that you do, you know, with the Humanity Archive. This unique position I feel like that you're in as somebody who is conscious and aware of the history of the black experience and then having this modern day attack on another black body not long after we all watched or whoever watched i haven't actually watched it but folks were aware of the ahmaud arbery situation what is it like like there what was it like i should say there on the ground there in louisville when all of this happened with brianna taylor i'll start by saying it's really close to home believe it or not like i grew up on like a street away from where this happened. It was a street called Springfield Drive. So, you know, I grew up a street away from it and my parents live like minutes away from where this happened that it's in us, the South end of Louisville. You know, just to see this from a personal standpoint was really, I wouldn't say shocking, but it, you know, it just kind of hit me on a, on a very deep level. You know, that I used to run on those streets, play on those streets and everything like that. As far as the feelings of the community here, I think it's, it's a lot of tension. You know, it's a lot of anticipation. People are wanting to know if justice is going to be served, how justice is going to be served. They're, they're looking to the, to the leadership to see how they're responding to and handling the situation. I think there's a lot of anger as to how the leadership has been handling it. We have Governor Andy Bashir here. and We have Mayor Greg Fisher here. And, you know, whenever they came out and made statements, they really didn't speak strongly to the the injustice to the issue that I think people were really hoping for. They kind of danced around it. So I think there's a lot of anger. I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of pain. I think there's a lot of, of anticipation and hoping and, and wanting justice to be served in some way. And I think we know this is systemic. You know, this has been going on. Black people have been getting lynched, you know, for over 155 years. So sure. I mean, I no kind of associate yeah. with that and just this legacy of, you know, police brutality, uh, mass incarceration, you know, it all ties in together. So I think there's this just this rising tension and, and just seeing how this is all going to play out with Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. Yeah, man. So what is it? Because I've, I've actually heard now, I read from Sean King earlier today and then hearing you say it also that there is a dissatisfaction from the Black community with how local authorities have responded to Breonna Taylor's murder. I mean, certainly, and I, I can say that for myself, I was outraged. Like, completely furious when I saw that her boyfriend was taken into custody and charged with attempted murder. I've seen that that's recently been dropped, but like when it first happened, I was like, how the hell can you charge this man 
with attempted murder when you just killed his girlfriend on a no-not warrant. So I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go into all that. But let me ask you this question: What is it that you, or could you articulate what you would expect to hear from local authorities that sounds stronger, that sounds more hopeful for getting some justice for Brianna? I try to look at the larger issue, right? The legacy, the history, you know, was Breonna Taylor's life worth a minor drug bust? You know, it's, it's all over drugs. It's all this, this mass incarceration. It's all this uh, war on drugs. It's all, you know, tied to arbitrary police power and, you know, them just making the, just these randomized decisions about who, who they're going to, to kick in their door, right? And, it, and it's right. disproportionately Black. So uh, I try to look at the larger issue, you know, was... Breonna Taylor's life worth the suspected drug bust, which it, it seems to be the details are turning out that, you know, they had the wrong guy or whatever, you know, but aside from the details, like that's what I would want to hear, you know, the powers that be speak to. And these are the issues that they, they kind of spoke to in their campaign. But then when it comes to a real life specific case like Breonna Taylor, none of those words are spoken. So, you know, it's again, dancing around the issue. The community just wants to see the justice isn't blind. And that's the most you're going to get out of them, but they're not going to speak to those core issues that could actually get to the heart of the problem and keep these types of police murders of innocent people from happening in the first place. So you cannot have justice without accountability. You cannot have yeah, uh, for sure. justice without answerability. So mm. You know, we mm-hmm. have to tell the truth about these divisions because what do we have? Again, we have police having these unarmed black people killed, right? They're killing these unarmed black people. So how do we get this this accountability? How do we get this answerability from the police force? Ultimately, I think that we need more movements. I think that we need a million voices to speak out against this. And, you know, we need to come together and figure out, you know, what do we do? How do we bring this accountability and this answerability to bear? Um, so, you know, th- there are all these conversations being had. Uh, a lot of people are on social media using that platform to raise their voices and lift their voices. Um, you have uh, council people here who have spoken very strongly about the issue. Uh, mainly, uh, there's a politician, Attica Scott, here who's speaking very strongly about it. So, you know, the voices are there, but, you know, how do you turn those voices into a movement? And then how yeah. do you harken back to the legacy of those civil rights movements and those movements who were able to bring all these voices together and push into a social change. So I think that's where we're at now is kind of at that moment to how do we bring these voices into that movement? So, um, yeah, man. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about the humanity archive and how, um, what you're trying to do with that is to connect the past with the present, right? How, how the, the civil rights movement of the fifties and sixties and, and how all of the things that have led up to where we are today have all connected, right? So how have you been able to engage people in that dialogue and help people to see the connectedness of the past with racism and what's happening presently with racism? Mainly it's me trying to tap into the the legacies, the traditions of those who came before us, right? Mainly Mm -hmm. ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Yeah, I love that tapping into the legacies of the, of those ordinary people who did extraordinary things, who dug deep within themselves to fight for something greater than and grander than themselves and mm. do something that would push humanity forward. Right. So, you know, we're tapping into the legacies of, you know, those civil rights leaders tapping into the legacies of those great thinkers who tried to push humanity forward in some way, who tried to fight against things like injustice, racism, incarceration, those yeah, are the yeah, legacies yeah. that I'm trying to tap into and, and move forward. That's amazing, man. I love that. I love the notion of making sure that we stay connected to the past and don't forget our history because 
you know, oftentimes when we forget that history, we find ourselves kind of dumbfounded with what's going on right now, as if this is the first time it's ever happened, as if we, we don't have a history of lynching in this country, or as if we don't have a history of racism towards black and brown people in this country. So what the work you're doing to make that connection is just, it's absolutely beautiful, man. I love that. I love, and I love the aspect of the ordinary people, you know, doing extraordinary things, because that's, you know, that's what we have to be about, certainly in the face of things like what's happened with Brianna. Well, so it sounds like to me, what I'm hearing you say is similar to what I've heard from people who live in Georgia and other people from Georgia about Ahmaud Arbery is that there's a pessimism about whether or not the murderers of these Black people will actually stand well, we'll actually face any kind of justice. It's like, yeah, they were taken into custody. Yeah, they were charged with murder. But ultimately, we don't necessarily believe that they will uh, face the music for what they've done. Is that kind of a sentiment that's there in Louisville right now regarding Brianna's killers? Absolutely, Corey, because, I mean, think about it again. You cannot have justice without accountability. You cannot have peace without justice. You cannot have order without fairness. So that's what we're speaking to. And historically, how often do you see these police officers, these murderers go to prison? How often do you see them get punished? It's it's very rare. So I think that's where the pessimism comes in. But I also think there's a hope, you know, that things will change, but there's also, you know, a wrestling between the pessimism and the hope, you know, you hope that there's going to be a better day. You hope that there's going to be justice, but you know, there's also that pessimism and that despair and that, that tragedy that, you know, uh, justice only seems to be one-sided, right. When it comes Mm -hmm. to the mass incarceration, the reason that police are kicking these doors in and, uh, you know, murdering innocent black people, unarmed black people, you know, there's that side of the justice system, which seems to be tilted against black people in America. But then you have the other side of the justice system where police are getting away with literally getting away with murder, right. Over and over and over again. So that's where the despair and that's where the tension comes in at. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's a, it's, it's heavy. It weighs on us emotionally. It it brings us to like you, that word you use that I think is important to name is despair. That's a place that's like beyond sad and grieving. It's like this, it's a hopeless, helpless feeling. And America has in so many different ways pushed black folks to that place with these kinds of incidents. But yet at the same time, man, you know, you and I, and I'm hearing, I'm here, here in your voice, both the despair and just a, a, a determination though, right? To, to, to not lie down and to not stop holding people accountable, holding their feet to the fire to protect black bodies, to ensure the black dignity and citizenship of black folks um, in our cities and towns and neighborhoods. So man, I, I just appreciate the work you're doing. Um, appreciate what you're doing there. Is there anything that folks who are not in Louisville can do to show their support to continue to help fight for justice for Brianna? You know, keep Brianna's name out there until this is over and even beyond when this is over so that, you know, people can be aware of what's happened, what's happening, make those phone calls that need to be made, write those letters that need to be written. You know, of course, there's always this uh, monetary aspect to it. You know, she she has a family she left behind. We still have Kenny Walker, who's going to be fighting for his life still, even though he was released. I mean, that could bring those charges back. I, I read as far as, you know, his uh, interaction with the police that night. So, you know, we, we need definitely need to lift our voices and we also need to 
empty our pockets, so to speak. You know, we have to, to put some money behind this as well and make sure that, you know, the family is taken care of and make sure that Kenny Walker is able to stay free and, um, you know, just do whatever we can to, you know, continue to push this forward vocally, monetarily, and everything else we can do. Everybody has a unique skill set that they can bring to the table. So whatever it is, you know, bring that to bear for justice uh, in general, but specifically and especially for Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and, um, you know, all the others. Yeah, man, that's that's amazing. That's that's so dope. And, and hopefully people will take your advice and, and get involved in, in those ways to, to make sure that we see justice for Brianna. Also, I love this resource of yours, the Humanity Archive. Uh, it's a great place to just go and, and again, like we said, see how we can learn uh, from history and, and learn how that history is connected, connected to our present realities. Man, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you, man. And I, I love, love, love the work that you're doing. Uh, hanging hey, there. Same, same to you, Corey. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, sir. Thank you to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know.